Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. It is estimated that up to one-third of us still regularly miss breakfast. Many put this down to time pressures in the morning, but with a little planning, I promise you can find a choice to suit your lifestyle. Research has shown that people who eat breakfast have more balanced diets than those who skip it and are less likely to be overweight and have reduced risk of certain diseases such as cardiovascular disease and diabetes. Eating breakfast may also help to improve mental performance, concentration, and mood. That's three more good reasons to eat eggs in the morning. On your next supermarket list, add Clarence Court Free Range Eggs. I'm telling you, the rich flavor and color of their yolks really can make the most ordinary recipes extraordinary. You can find Clarence Court eggs in all the major supermarkets, including Waitrose, Sainsbury's, Tesco, Ocado. And to learn more, please visit clarencecourt.co.uk. Hello, and thank you so much for tuning in to Food for Thought, a podcast on a mission to equip you with all the evidence-based advice you need to live and breathe a healthy lifestyle. I'm Rhiannon Lambert, registered nutritionist, best-selling author of Renourish, A Simple Way to Eat Well, and founder of Retrition, London's leading private nutrition clinic. In each episode, I'll be joined by special guests, all of whom can be considered authoritative voices in health, so that together we can learn fact from fiction and empower the healthiest and happiest versions of ourselves with trusted expert advice. Food production contributes as much as 30% of total greenhouse gas emissions in the UK and is therefore a significant driver of global warming. Worryingly though, with a global population set to grow by 1 billion over the next decade, it has never been more urgent to consider a diet that meets the needs of both people and the planet. The latest major research suggests that even reducing our daily meat intake to 50 to 99 grams a day could see an immediate carbon footprint reduction of 22%. To tell us more about how to eat healthily and save the planet is dietitian Ursula Ahrens, who has a degree in dietetics and is a member of the British Dietetic Association. Hello, Ursula. Hi. Thank you so much for joining us today. I think knowing that our food system contributes now to almost a third of UK greenhouse gas emissions. I mean, which elements can have the most negative impact? Which ones do you think? Well, there's been a lot of research and discussion, but I think the clear consensus is uh, 
animal proteins, specifically meat and specifically ruminants. So that's essentially beef and lamb. Mm. Mm. And we know that food waste, of course, is a major problem as well in the UK. And in fact, 70% of all food waste I've read comes from households. What what are the biggest contributors to this? Uh, The the data is various. And um, in the UK, the domestic waste essentially is people over-purchasing and slightly losing track of what's in the fridge. And by the time they remember, they're finding it's past its shelf life. I mean, if we're looking at food waste, what I've also read here, that a staggering 60% of all food waste is avoidable, as you've just said. But to what extent are the big food retailers trying to alleviate this issue? Well, they are under a lot of pressure to get rid of buy one, get one free. Because a lot of consumers attribute the fact that they've got twice as much as they actually planned Mm. by the fact that they can't resist the kind of economic temptation. Um, Mm. So they are under pressure to stop um, nudging people towards over-purchasing. I suppose the other issue is um, simply um, getting pre-prepared foods which tends to have a shorter shelf life than if it's whole. So for example a pre-packed lettuce and salad in a in a bag um, once you open it will only last a day or two yeah. whereas if you buy a whole lettuce that will last five, six, seven days or so longer. So glad you used that example. <laughs> I think also in terms of plastic consumption those bagged lettuces have a lot to answer for. Um, And what actually happens to the food waste that's produced? Where does it go? Well, household food waste goes in your bin. Mm. Uh, Obviously, depending on where you live and how environmentally conscious you are, you possibly separate it. Uh, If you have a garden, you possibly have a compost pile at the bottom of your garden. Um, But essentially, most domestic household waste goes in your bin and essentially it goes into landfill. Mm. Um, But again, retailers are trying to reduce wastage at their end of things by diverting off food that's close to the end of its shelf life to various charities. Um, So there's a number of schemes set up to support people that, that, you know, need food, but equally are not able to purchase full price items in the supermarket. And it's important to raise that, of course, um, that there's different uh, budgets and different households. We all live in very different areas in the UK. There's lots to take into account here. So what, what can we do on an individual level to help here? I mean, is it packaging free shops? To reduce wastage? Mm. Well, I think... Um, most people don't have huge choice. You, you mm. go to your local supermarket, that's the one that's 10 minutes walk from where you live. You, you're not going to spend hours and hours going to every different supermarket to compare. No. Um, ideally, if you have a local market near you, that's always good. You can yeah. purchase it direct from mm. you know a market trader or perhaps even the grower mm. if it's a farmer's market. But as I say, in practice, most people haven't got the time or the, the luxury, mm. um, in which case the advice in terms of reducing waste is simply to purchase 
what you plan to consume yes. and possibly do a tiny bit of planning in terms of what you're going to be eating over the week so that you're not over-purchasing. I'm a big fan of a shopping list. Yes. Mm. And, you know, again, careful use of your freezer. If you have some food left over, put it in the freezer. Maybe have a little freezer notebook because, again, that's something where you can put things in and forget what's there. That's so true. I often have to physically take everything out of the top drawer in my freezer because I've forgotten what's hidden at the bottom. <laughs> exactly that, exactly. So a little notebook and mm. you can cross off and tick it off. That's a brilliant idea. I mean, do you think um, in terms of other planetary issues that we've seen, deforestation, biodiversity loss... What are the results of the stress that we've put on the food system? That There are so many things that we can touch in here. So let's start with the effects of deforestation. Well, um, I mean, you're going now globally as opposed to mm. it specifically being a UK issue. Yes. Um, and, you know, going back from your question, um, the, the pressure on the environment is essentially due to the fact that we're currently nearly 8 billion people on the planet. And the prediction is that it's going to be going up by a billion every 10 years. Mm. So that's a billion additional mouths to be feeding. Spagging. And not only, not only is it more people, but due to improved economics in many countries, people are better off and they want to have the things that we, as a rule, enjoy in the UK. So they are... Uh, purchasing uh, more meat in their diets and all sorts of other things that all require resources to grow. And so as a population, we are growing. In fact, the world population is expanding by pretty much the UK population every year. So that's a whole UK to feed every year. Um, So, of course, we we need more land to grow foods. And those populations that are there are increasingly wanting and choosing to eat meat, which again requires even more land to grow the feed for for meat production. And so we are just running out of pristine environments um, in order to produce that amount of food. And so going back to your comment about deforestation, obviously, you know, deforestation occurs because people want land to grow grow foods mm. to meet the the demand of of populations that need to eat mm. um i think the statistic i heard today was that in um brazil there is a size of forest that's the size of a football pitch cleared every minute mm. um and essentially that's for soya and 80 or 90% of soya grown is to feed cattle not humans so it is essentially matching up food production with the population. Gosh, it's such, I find it actually quite an emotive topic. It, it, it is emotive, it is mm. emotive, because um, essentially you're balancing people that need to eat with the Earth's ability to grow food for all of us. Yeah. And the question is, how can we feed 8 billion people in a way that also is more protective Mm. of the environment. That's the challenge. It is a challenge. And I know it's something that you've worked a lot on. And I I came across you having um, listened to a webinar, actually, and done a lot of research on your One Blue Dot um, program that I believe that you've done a lot of research with. And in well, that, well, that's not me specifically. That's the British group. Dietetic Association, mm. who have a, who have a group of expert dietitians that have all 
pulled together and contributed to this report, mm. One Blue Dot. And I just want to explain what One Please Blue Dot do. refers to. Yes. Um, that is a description of planet Earth by an astronomer from a picture in 1990. Ah. And it's a satellite picture of the Earth from six billion kilometers away so it shows a galaxy and within that you can see a minuscule tiny blue dot and that is planet earth so it's really you know this one blue dot is where we all live yeah and it's um the, the only thing we have and it's the thing that we need to protect that's such a beautiful way of explaining it. So inside the one blue dot, if you maybe want to touch on what it is that everyone was looking at and exploring, and then I'll, I'll finish with the remaining questions. Well, one blue dot is a review um, by a group of dietitians, and essentially it's looking at um, advice that dietitians can or should give to the mm. general public when they're asked questions about mm. what they think about eating more sustainably. Mm. And uh, classically, dietitians are trained in and are expert in health and nutrition mm. and looking at what foods and what condi- medical conditions and, and the best diet for every condition. So looking at the environment is actually slightly peripheral um, because it's a whole different set of data. It's a whole different set of terminology and different issues. But there are a lot of groups that are all looking at these areas. Yes. And this is um, a solid, robust review in order to give dietitians a sensible basis on which to give advice on environmentally sustainable diets. Which is wonderful. And I think from there, there's a few great takeaway points, like having current white meat consumption, um, we need to half that, eating red meat only once a week and reducing dairy by 40%. Are these suggestions that you think um, everyone should try and follow or just a select few? Well, within a population, you have everything from the tiniest newborn baby to the oldest person who might have an illness. So, of course, dietitians would would seek to kind of adjust any advice Mm. they gave to particular individuals. But So these are population-wide reference um, points. But essentially, the advice is a reduction in protein from animal sources and to replace those with plant source proteins. And plant source proteins essentially is beans and peas and lentils, nuts, all these sorts of Mm. things. There is a huge amount of activity and excitement about future foods. And probably most people have heard discussions about insects. Yeah, the Impossible Burger. All sorts of um, cell laboratory meats, which are just around the corner. Um, So there's a lot of interest in these alternatives for animal source proteins. But we don't need to wait for the future because beans and lentils are cheap as anything and available today. But it is a matter of communicating dietary change to the broad population. Which is very tricky. And how about your thoughts on eating local and seasonal foods? So it's something that I know also people aspire to do, but how can we realistically implement this into daily routines? It's it's impossible, and yeah. especially where we are now. Where we live is, in the UK as well. <laughs> well, not just UK, middle of London. Yes. There is yes. no local food. No, there really aren't. <laughs> <laughs> so our, our mm. food production is massively networked, not just within the UK, but yeah. EU-wide and worldwide. And um, there are costs and efficiencies and debates 
and um, layered on top of the environmental aspects of food production, of course, the topical issue is Brexit. Well, so yes. that's a whole new new aspect of looking at food subsidies and food production. Um, but essentially, it's looking at um, producing as much food or more food but without going into pristine environments. Mm. So making food efficient, food production more efficient mm. and also reducing the competition between food production for feed. So feeding people food directly yeah. as opposed to doing it through the animal, which mm. is then consumed by humans. Yes, it's a much bigger picture than I think people realise. It's all very well going out there and saying, eat seasonally, eat fresh. But like you said... <laughs> I don't think for many people it, it's an option. And another area that I wanted to touch on was overfishing and the poor fishing practices that have significantly impacted our planet. Uh, with fish in stocks, that's what I've read here, is in 85% of fisheries now fully exploited or overfished. How has that happened? Well, we, and, and, and I don't mean me personally, but we mm. as a population yes. have just become so efficient at capturing huge amounts of fish mm. through netting and through very efficient production systems. Yeah. And of course, normally, when you produce foods efficiently, the benefit is that it's available to everyone at a cheap price. And that yeah. is exactly what, what has happened. Mm. Um, if we look back at your parents or your grandparents or your great-great-grandparents, for most people, these animal foods and fish were a rare treat yes. and quite expensive and you had it on a Sunday as a, mm. as a kind of celebration. I mean, now chicken and fish and all sorts of foods are so cheap because our efficiency, our methods of capturing and producing fish is so efficient. Yeah. And I say normally that's a good thing. You know, we strive for efficiency, but it just means that we are, in effect, hoovering up the sea and it's more and more difficult for fish stocks to to remain viable. And it's a tricky conversation because obviously there are so many benefits of health for lots of people to eat fish. I know in the UK government recommends one portion of oily fish a week if possible too. Yes. And um, obviously taking ethics out of the equation, we do need a solution for this. Yes, and... You know, nutritionally, we know the nutrients that you need for good health, mm. uh, enough of this, not too much of that. So so that's a fairly solid and robust set of, of data. Course. So the other question is, how can we supply those nutrients to a population yes. in the most environmentally efficient Friendly way? way yes. And the broad theme is to, and I'm repeating myself now, but to reduce animal source protein and try and get more of our proteins from plant sources. Mm. Um, fish, um, there are various bodies that accredit sustainable sourcing of fish mm. and um, a lot of supermarkets have labeling schemes that try yes, and advise do. which mm. fish is less threatened than others yes but it is difficult it is, and it is confusing oh gosh so moving on from fish i understand that 80 percent of respondents in a survey um, consume dairy every single day i mean is it realistic to assume that people can reduce their dairy consumption well um, there are populations that consume very little dairy, such as mm. in the Far East. Mm. You know, the Japanese and the Chinese traditionally have consumed almost no dairy in adulthood. Yes, they but these are very strong cultural um, factors behind food choices. And of mm. course, it is just not feasible to expect populations to change what is a culturally normal diet no. for them. Yeah. There are a wide array of 
alternative milks available. Some people like them and some people don't. Mm, and they have to be fortified, they, that's the thing. They are fortified usually mm. to match cow's milk in terms yes, of calcium. To the and best degree they can, but often a few of them I found recently do lack things like iodine, which are not found. That's right. So we do have to get better. <laughs> some well, And also some dairy alternative milks are quite low in protein. Yes. Um, so... Um, some are closer matched, some are less closer matched. And some people soy, like them. That's closer matched. Protein is matched for protein, mm. but some of the oat milks and nut milks are quite low in protein. So they They're aren't delicious. suitable for young children. No. If you've got enough protein in your diet, that's less of an issue. Mm. But you're right to say that, broadly speaking, these companies try and match them nutritionally with the levels found in cow's milk. And as you quite rightly said, for some people actually their only source of nutrition or a lot of good nutrition will probably be coming from dairy. But I know we could probably do a whole other podcast episode on dairy alone. It's such a a huge topic. And having touched at the very beginning of the episode that um, livestock farming isn't a great thing for the planet, many people might assume that going vegan is the answer. But why isn't this exactly the case for everyone? Well, if individuals choose to go vegan, and in the UK, there's a lot of excitement and chatter about becoming Mm. vegan, but the numbers are still less than 1% of the population. Um, So that means 99% of the population are not vegan. Mm. Um, If you are vegan, then that's fine. Um, But you do need to plan your diet carefully to make sure you're getting a variety of nutrients and you really really do need to get um, a synthetic source of vitamin b12 either Mm. through a supplement or through fortified Mm. foods and you possibly also might be low in iodine vitamin d yes um vitamin uh uh, iron probably omega-3 long chain omega-3s yeah so you can there are a variety of supplements out there it would just be sensible to take a vegan supplement to support your diet. I couldn't agree more. But essentially, the um, message is for the 99% people who aren't vegan, which is not to totally avoid every animal food because there's absolutely no need to do that, but essentially to have less and to seek other protein sources as well as reducing your animal food. So having having meat but just having it less often yeah. and in smaller amounts. Going back to how we said our parents or our grandparents, perhaps, they wouldn't have had it daily at every single meal. Yeah. It would have yeah. been, like you said, a good treat. Yeah. Yes. It's an occasional special food and mm. you have small amounts of it to add flavour and to enjoy it, but not to sit there with three-inch thick steaks, no. you know, every day. I think we've definitely, um, this is obviously a, a personal opinion I, I'm saying now, we've come to a point in the UK where we're very lucky if you live in the city in an environment where you get access to food 24-7. That never used to happen. We're really spoilt for choice. We have everything on our our fingertips. And essentially, perhaps we've lost the appreciation of the value of food. Yes. I mean, you know, we we are lucky. We we have uh, food, relatively speaking, as a percentage of people's salaries is cheaper than it's ever been in history. Mm. Um, So food is cheap. Uh, for most most people, most people have you know mm. can afford 
most things that they want mm. to have. And we have endless variety, you know, yeah. the sort of 20 flavours of yoghurt and <laughs> goodness knows. Yes. And also we can have strawberries at Christmas. We can have, we can. you know, every kind of food. And I think t- the time has come where we need to step back a little bit and think, do we need to have all of this food all of the time? And do we need, you know, those 20, 30, 40 different varieties of what's essentially the same food? Which is really a fascinating topic to touch on. And also on the flip side, there are also different socioeconomic groups in the UK where somebody going vegan would be completely unheard of and a luxury in itself for someone to choose, I'm going to live this way of life and be able to have the knowledge on how to do it healthily and to have supplementation, for instance. So I think we've got a a big discrepancy, perhaps, in the UK. Well, I suppose if you're a younger person, then a click of the internet will lead you to uh, maybe the vegan society. And they have some fairly sensible, pragmatic, Good place to go. So -hmm. a little bit of research. Uh, The British Dietetic Association have a fact sheet on the vegan diet. So a little bit of effort and a little bit of research and you should be okay. Yeah, that's really positive information there, which is good to receive. And of course, we also have a plant-based ebook on the Retrition page. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. I want to talk about processed foods and fizzy drinks because it's mentioned that they can be environmentally taxing as well. Why is that? I think essentially the comparison is against tap water. Oh, really? And um, it's looking at the the cost of production, Mm. of of bottling and of transporting what is a heavy liquid from the factory to the shop, from the shop to the smaller shop to Mm. your home. So those are energy costs, which is the weight of water. Um, in in comparison to tap water, um, so that's that's the the energy cost of producing our hydration by these sources. It's so interesting because yes, I know the recommendation is to drink tap water and eat whole foods, especially like we've discussed more. From and plant and tea sources. is fine too. Yes, <laughs> thank goodness for the English breakfast tea. That is definitely okay. Uh, what about when it comes to importing foreign foods then? that are not from the UK, what are the worst offenders that we have? In, well, in I think the in terms of energy cost, which is what we're talking about, mm. essentially it's air freighted 
is more energy intensive than things that come via ship. Mm-hmm. Um, and things that have that are very delicate and have very short shelf life. Yeah. So flying blueberries from Chile is the kind of highest energy cost for the least food. Whereas things that are come by ship um, it, per unit of calorie or unit of protein or however you want to measure it, that is a lot less energy intensive. Mm. There has been some debates about the relative energy costs of growing foods in hot countries, Mm. such as, um, for example, tomatoes come from Spain, Mm. versus growing tomatoes in the UK that need to be heated. Yes. um, And, you know, whether the cost of transport matches is higher or lower than the cost of heating if it's grown in the UK. And you can get into very, very complicated um, diagrams to debate yes. which is more efficient. I think ultimately as a consumer, you, you you can never get to the precise optimum of knowing that. Mm. Um, at some stage, you have to leave that to the hopefully pragmatic and sensible, uh, you know, su- d- um, yeah. understanding of the retail buyer yes. to know what, what are the, is the most energy efficient and environmentally sustainable way and then i'll hear a lot of people that probably are saying right now but you know a lot of the uk i mean we know about i think it's gone up to 30 percent now it used to be 27 percent of the uk get their five a day yes so we're still not eating the fruit and vegetables yet we're importing masses of them over here well uh, we only grow 13 percent of our fruit and veg in the the uk or the space and the labour. And the labour. And the labour. Mm. No one wants to back, break their backs picking strawberries. Mm. Um, so, yes, that is a whole, separate from the environment, that is a whole political decision to be made in the next few years as to food self-sufficiency and the relative cost of producing it in the UK versus, you know, from South Africa or Australia or, you know, anywhere else in the world. It is an incredibly fascinating time but equally so worrying and equally there's so so much hope still pinning on certain areas I think of all parties involved here and I hope that anyone listening is actually going to implement some small changes to their diets because we can all on an individual level make a big difference can't we we can make a difference three times a day yeah breakfast lunch and dinner there we go (laughs) so to summarize what are the key things that we can do as individuals to reduce the impact of our eating habits on the planet whilst ensuring our diets are nutritionally sound well first of all be careful about waste try and minimize waste plan your shopping buy enough but don't you know buy twice as much you know be really sensible Um, Secondly, reduction in animal protein, Mm. specifically red meat, Mm. um, and try and replace that with plant protein. And there are exciting, amazing burgers (laughs) on the horizon that supposedly, you know, are the same as as meat, but they're not here yet. So why red meat exactly, so people would be wondering, I'm sure, should we reduce that? Um, Because ruminants, or beef specifically, um, produces a lot of... um, Methane, which yes. is the environmentally um, greenhouse gas, gas. equivalent yes. uh, climate warming, yes. um, and also um, it, they they need you know a certain amount of feed. Mm. Um, so 
um, ruminants are specifically highlighted as as being the worst offenders for climate change. Goodness. Okay, so we've got reduced food waste, try and reduce red meat production. Increase plant proteins. Increase plant proteins. Find wonderful ways to get friendly with beans and lentils. Yes. (laughs) A bit of a challenge, but possibly a trip to the diets of other cultures. Go to Mexico. And I don't mean go to Mexico. I mean go to the... (laughs) Mexican recipes in your yes. library. Go to your kitchen, Mexico. Go to your kitchen, Mexico. <laughs> or India. There are lots of countries where these foods are the everyday normal foods and they have eaten them for t- hundreds of years and they have found ways to make them delicious. Yes. So a bit of trying trying mm. different recipes and you will find something that you are happy with. A hundred percent. And I think a good tip that was given at the beginning there was also to utilise your freezer space. Write that list because I know a lot of the time that things like frozen berries can actually be fresher and then you're not also relying on buying those imported perhaps um, items from Chile, I think was the example we had there. Um, So that moves me on to questions we've had from my followers. And Jerry has asked, are some fish better to eat for the planet than others? Um, Yes, and... You know, I'm not the definitive expert, but the the Marine Conservation Society on their website will have absolutely precise listings as to their, I think they have an amber traffic light, a, oh, a traffic light system. So red, yeah. amber, green. And that will list, you know, the types of fish where they are, there are less concerns mm. and the types of fish where there are great concerns. Yeah. So go to the people who are the experts on that. That's the probably the best answer you can possibly give. And I remember last November, I was working in Barbados. It was a lovely job for a week. I know <laughs> the, the, the expressions on our faces right now. I wish I could go back but I was working with a hotel and I was taken to a local fish market and they had a whole list of um, fish that have now unfortunately well they're not available in that area anymore the local farmers are not fishing how the structure works from fishing in Barbados sending over to Miami for sushi grading sending it back to Barbados for the restaurants there and then over to Europe it was a completely fascinating area and one that I think is going to change even more in the next, well, you've just said 10, 20, 30 years each year. So I can barely pronounce this name. It's a very interesting name. I think it's Samyaya, which sounds a beautiful name. Samyaya has asked, how can I go about composting my food waste? I really want to help, but I don't know how. Well, on the assumption that you have a garden, um, yes. a lot of, I mean, a lot of councils in the UK do support do supply or or subsidize compost buckets Great. which look like basically they're buckets with a sort of opening at the top mm. um you can some some councils have workshops again the wonderful dr google i'm sure <laughs> or youtube yes, I, I, I mean i don't want to brand Ooh, and endorse a good specific, youtube video though <laughs> but there are hundreds of pages of advice or video clips on composting and again I'm sure all of them give good advice I think that's a good answer there Tim has asked I want to go vegetarian but haven't made the jump yet what would you say is my best first step well, you don't have to go vegetarian. You can just start with less meat. Yes. And there are campaigns which run by the names of Meat Free Monday. Mm-hmm. In Belgium, they have Meat Free Thursday for Do some they? reason. Oh. <laughs> um, so a reduction in meat. Um, we are quite lucky. If you're a vegetarian today compared to 20 years ago, there is a much wider choice of vegetarian oh, options in restaurants, yeah. cafes. So... Um, 
try some of the things that are being served in the restaurant to yeah. possibly give you some inspiration. Go to your library. You can tell I'm very keen on libraries. <laughs> yeah, There are cookery books by the mile oh, so on vegetarian choices. Yeah. So try some of those. You'll like some, you won't like others, but there'll be something that you enjoy. So just a bit yeah. of trying. But you don't have to totally give up all no. meat all the time if, if you enjoy meat. There's no. no need to do that. That's a very good balanced answer. And I think we have another podcast where we delved into um, different types of proteins. So definitely definitely have a listen to that one looking at what's a complete amino acid profile and not a not a complete one so we can look at that another time Kara has said are meat substitutes or this is an interesting one such as tofu and corn viable substitutes for meat but do they have an impact on the environment um well there's two aspects to that question one is are they as good nutritionally yes um so in terms of protein yes Mm. um Meat has um, a a few nutrients that are particular to meat. For example, meat or red meat is a very good source of iron. Mm. Not just a good source of iron, but very bioavailable form of iron. And corn, for example, does not match it for iron. No way. Um, So depending on whether you're at risk of anemia or not, um, there are nutritional differences. But in terms of protein, and for most people... It's absolutely fine. What about the environmental impact of those of tofu or soy? Because I think that's the I, one. I think um, both of both of those mycoprotein, which is corn, mm. and uh, tofu, which is soy. The environmental impact is just much, much, much lower mm. than red meat. So it's still a good option. It's Don't worry, Cara. Absolutely. Yes. So the last question is from Joanna. Is it possible? Oh, this is so interesting. We've just touched on this. Is it possible to get enough iron on a vegan diet? Um, it's difficult. And um, the thing, it, iron is an interesting nutrient because it's the one nutrient that women need more of than men. Yes, Normally, it? men are bigger, yeah. men are bulkier men need 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 more of most nutrients than women but that for iron flips around and that's obviously relates to menstruation Mm. um most women if they are vegetarian then over time their body becomes a little bit more efficient at iron absorption now to to, for some women that that's enough Mm. through an average mixed diet and a little bit of increased absorption over time. But for some women, they are still at risk of iron deficiency anemia. Mm. And if you start having the symptoms of that, which essentially is feeling lethargic and tired, then go to your doctor, a fingertip, a a drop of blood, it's not a a litre, a drop drop. (laughs) is enough to help diagnose that. If, If you are anemic, then... Iron fortified foods or an iron supplement. Yes. Very, very good advice there. And it's important, again, to reiterate, as you food for thought listeners will know, I go on about it all the time, you're all completely unique. So just because your neighbour or your friend says that they did this, it was fine for them, doesn't mean it's always going to work for you. So definitely seek a health professional's advice if you feel that something's not quite right. So that moves me on to my favourite part of the podcast. And this is a fact or fiction round. So, Ursula, I will be asking you to answer, and this is going to be very spontaneous, fact or fiction to the following questions. Are you ready? I'm as ready as I can get. (laughs) Here we go. Plant-based eating causes weight loss. Um, 
Probably. Ooh. Not always. You could live on chips uh, <laughs> and all sorts of other things, chocolate, yeah. uh, and you wouldn't. But most most vegetarians, as an average, are uh, way less than people with a typical mixed diet. There you go. There will always be enough fruit and vegetables to support the world. Fiction. Oh. I think the calculation is that if um, 8 billion people ate five a day, we would be in trouble. <gasps> Oh, it's terrifying. The look on my face. Is it possible to get all the nutrition we need from a vegan diet? No, you do need fortified foods and or a supplement. Yeah. Asian countries are to blame for overfishing. Um, possibly per head, they would consume more than per head in other countries. Mm. But... Um, there are high fish consumers in Europe, such as the Spanish and parts of Mediterranean. Mm. Um, I wouldn't, I would be reluctant to do a yes or no to that. Yes, understood. Fresh produce is healthier than frozen. No, actually, freezing, frozen fruit and veg is pretty much the same as fresh. Yay, I love my frozen veg. <laughs> Moving on. Red meat can be farmed sustainably. Um, there, There is a lot of discussion and a lot of research and there is a lot of um, debate around um, looking at uh, pasture-fed versus mm. um, grain-fed cattle. So, for example, there are differences in typical UK versus typical US meat production methods. There's also a lot of interest in putting additives into the diets of cattle to reduce yes. methane. Yes. This is all still under debate and under research, but certainly the dairy industry and the meat industry are looking at ways to reduce the environmental impact of meat and dairy production. Okay. Eating local meat is less environmentally taxing than eating a foreign vegetable. <laughs> I suppose the uh, I suppose the answer is which meat and which vegetable yes. and how far it's flown and you would you could then do a spreadsheet and do calculations <laughs> I couldn't say. Very good answer. You can tell the scientist in there coming out. Everyone going 100% vegan is the answer to saving the planet. No. No. Uh <laughs> you if you want to be vegan that's fine with with um with advice but most people some meat consumption is fine and healthy perfect eating sustainably is more expensive it shouldn't be because the um main advice which is less meat and changing that to plant proteins mm. usually beans and lentils are cheaper than red meat yes. so that shouldn't be more expensive very true well that concludes our fact or fiction round excellently answered there ursula and as with every guest we finish with a food for thought so today mine would be that it is reassuring to know that there are steps we can take for a healthier planet but what's even more reassuring to know is that a plant-based diet tends to be lower in saturated fat, higher in fibre, which we know has been associated with improved health outcomes such as weight management, reduced rates of diabetes, cardiovascular disease. We could even see reductions in mortality of up to 16%. Now, that's very interesting considering the population of our planet is growing as well. So that's an interesting one there. But with only 31% of the UK getting their five a day, this could present an opportunity to get more of them into our diets. Although, as Ursula just said in our fact or fiction round, what's worrying is if we all got our five a day 
then we probably would be in a bit of a diet situation. <laughs> but it is important to highlight that a plant-based diet needs to be well planned and considered in order to provide us with all the nutrients we need for optimum health. A diet as rich and diverse and as many different foods as possible is really key and choosing fortified foods will help to get vitamins and minerals in your diet that you might just be missing when you reduce some animal-based foods. So please remember to opt for protein sources that provide a complete amino acid profile such as quinoa or pairings such as rice and beans or hummus and pita together. Supplements will also be needed, which we have touched on in this episode today, to avoid deficiencies, in particular B12 and iodine are most likely required when following a fully vegan diet. Now, Ursula, if I could ask you to share with our listeners one take-home message or food for thought, what would that be today? Um, There are a thousand ways to eat healthy and we all live different lives. Um, I suppose the thought is to look at foods in different food cultures and look at ways that different food cultures have delicious and healthy diets with less animal protein. Mm. And they might inspire you to try new foods that are healthy and that you really enjoy. Well, that's wonderful. I know that I certainly have been blown away by the information we've had today and I will be doing my bit to make changes as soon as I can. Thank you, Ursula, for coming on Food for Thought. It's a great pleasure. Thank you so much for listening to Food for Thought. It really is amazing to know there's such a craving to hear from expert voices in a world full of confusing advice. If you enjoyed this episode, you will absolutely love what's coming next week. So please make sure you click subscribe to be the first to hear it. And please, if you have time, do leave a five-star review. It really does help to get our podcast out there to reach higher highs in the charts and hopefully help more and more people. For more information about my nutrition clinic, books, healthy recipes, events, retreats, and so much more, please visit retrition.com and follow me at Retrition on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com.